Speak the charm of make charm of make charm. There will come a time on the planet Earth when science and technology will be long forgotten. When wizards will rule the world. This is the Arnamancy podcast featuring Reverend Eric. Join me on an exploration of the practice, philosophy, and history of the occult, esotericism, and the paranormal. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Eric Arneson, and with me today, my guest today, is Misha Magdalene. Misha is a multi-classed, multi-geek, multi-queer witch and sorcerer with a degree in gender studies and a slightly odd sense of humor. Their first book, Outside the Charmed Circle, Exploring Gender and Sexuality in Magical Practice, was published by Llewellyn in January of 2020, and Misha was actually on the podcast last year to discuss that book. They are an initiate of multiple lines of traditional witchcraft, including Anderson Fairy and Gardnerian Wicca, and have also been known to dabble recklessly in both modern ceremonial magic and grimoireic goetia. They live in occupied Duwamish territory in the Pacific Northwest with their polymath partner and two adorably destructive black kittens. Misha, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back, Eric. I should have also led with the topic. We're going to be talking about the body and magic. Um, Probably mostly the body and magic, how it is sort of filtered through the world of grimoire magic, but uh, who the hell knows? I'm not sure that either of us are super good at staying on topic, so... (laughs) Staying on topic is for... That's for squares. (laughs) I kind of feel like most occultists are squares. I, I would have thought circles. Circles. <laughs> uh, I've been wanting to get you back on the podcast again. And when we discussed topics, you uh, we discussed topics like back in August and you started talking about um, sort of uh, perceptions and depictions of the body and use of the physical body in the Key of Solomon. I, I honestly, I was kind of like, I don't even know where to go with this, but this sounds really fascinating. So let's talk a little bit about, I mean, for those people out there who don't know what the key of solomon is i assume that's a very small percentage of my audience but uh it's a grimoire that uh was probably what from the 16th 17th century and somewhere in there yeah yeah and then it got translated into english by mcgregor mathers who's one of the golden dawn daddies and uh and then and it's it's popular even today and it's one of those grimoires that is like expensive magic it's the lion skin belts it's the swords and bucklers and uh there's garters and magic shoes and magic water and there's like hats metals made out of precious metals yeah yeah oh and it's got the uh the seals of solomon or the pentacles which people are super familiar with you've definitely seen them if you've ever if you just look at google images and you search occult it'll pop up probably at least a dozen of these things there's um I think 44 different emblems in there, all tied to planets that all have like various instructions for blessing them and stuff like that. So uh, if you don't have a copy of this grimoire, it's uh, it's available for free online, but it's also, there's lots of different editions of it. It's been, it's been in print probably constantly since 1889 oh, yeah. or something. And it is in a lot of ways, I would say one of the 
er texts of the modern occult revival Mm -hmm. uh, in part because uh, so much of modern neo-paganism has lifted so much stuff from this one text Mm -hmm. Uh, you know to the point where a lot of the language and the images in it have become synonymous with spooky occult stuff so you know i'll be watching some uh, you know some terrible occult drama or thriller or television show and they'll flash you know some ancient codex page on the screen and it's like oh yeah there's the you know second pentacle of the sun from the key of solomon or whatever right. that's not spooky that's I, I have this right over here. What, what, what are you trying to pull? <laughs> Isn't that like the one to make everybody happy? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, so what, but what we we're going to talk about is sort of um, the, the approach that this book takes to the body of the pre- practitioner. Yes. Um, so when I was writing outside the charmed circle, I spent a lot of time reading about the ways that a lot of pagan philosophers and later uh, natural philosophers in the Renaissance, magicians, uh, thought about and wrote about the body. And I, the conclusion that I came to in, uh, you know, in writing that book was that people spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to sort of reconcile we have these fleshy bodies that are kind of gross and that get old and decay and die and rot with we have these spirits within us that are effectively immortal that go on you know after our death that existed before our birth and you know how how do we resolve that question it's the whole mind body problem uh the tension between matter and spirit mm-hmm. that uh, you know that all of these systems of thought have been grappling with and trying to find some way of coming to terms with and one of the observations that i made a little more recently uh in doing some research for another project i have coming up is that the ways that people approached the body in terms of magical operations were very different to, I think, how we think about the body now, today in the modern world. Now it's like we have, there's this very bright line between mind and body, between spirit and matter. And we're really invested in this idea of, well, there's the things of the material world and then there's the things of the spiritual world. But if you look at, well, for instance, the key of Solomon, the king, um, you know, if you flip to book two in the key of Solomon and start looking at the chapters in there about preparing to do the work that's talked about in this grimoire, um, this is all about preparing the spirit of the magus in large part by preparing the body of the magus preparing the space that the magus is going to work in preparing the tools 
preparing the bodies of the disciples and as you rightly pointed out the dog mm-hmm. you know the invocation <laughs> of the dog um you know preparing all of the materia magica all of the magical materials that will be worked with and on starting with the magus in this book himself yeah and i found that really fascinating because when I've seen a lot of modern uh, pagan and magical practitioners uh, talking about uh, doing magic, a lot of it feels very heady, very, I'm going to do all of this work, you know, mentally or in the spiritual realm. Yeah, I agree. Um, But this book, like it really, it really kind of starts off with like the first instruction is like strip naked and take a bath in exercised water. Like it's totally like there's, it's not just, it's not just walk into the room and work. It's like, make sure you're, you're pure. You're, you have to be ritually purified. Absolutely. And even that, I'm sorry, I guess it doesn't start with the, it doesn't start with the bath. I was wrong. It starts with like, you have to be ritually pure for days. You have to like, and I'm not sure it really uh, explicitly describes what that means, but it's basically like, don't have fun for three days and then you're ready. Yeah. Refrain from marital relations and Mm -hmm. only eat certain things or fast completely. And, you know, you look at the things that are being recommended. It's, very much about removing yourself from influences of the outside world and fasting, you know, gets you into an altered state in relatively short order. Mm -hmm. You know, you start getting kind of loopy after you've not eaten for a day or two. (laughs) Yeah. And then, yeah, you strip naked and you exercise this water and you bathe in this water and it really is all about working on yourself first and by yourself it literally like working on your body as the vehicle and vessel of your spirit yeah almost as though they're not drawing a distinction between things you do to the body and the effect that has on your soul your spirit I guess uh, that kind of approach sort of makes sense with the amount of detail that is paid towards all of the accoutrements of the of the magician as well, right? Like everything Absolutely. has very specific instructions. You know, wands have to be, you know, cut at a specific time with a specific tool. Out of this kind of wood. Mm-hmm. And then you write these specific characters on them using this particular kind of ink, using a pen that you've consecrated in this way with these characters. Mm-hmm. And everything gets consecrated, like the ink, the pen, the paper, like your shoes, your shoes and like your underpants and like everything. It's it's like it's it's intense. Um, it is. Yeah. It, it, thinking about it this way, like my interpretation of the Key of Solomon uh, especially since um, oh, Peterson, Joseph Peterson started, uh, he since he brought out the that edition of like the Venetian um, Solomonic grimoire a few years ago. Ah, you know, yeah. yeah, like looking at that book and then comparing it to the Key of Solomon, I was like, oh, I see what's happening here. The Key of Solomon is for rich people. 
Like, yes. these people have, these people can take vacation days. They can be like, I must, I must go into seclusion for one week before I talk to my magic solar spirits. You know, I mean, they can, yeah. they have time to do that, but they also have time to have like specific clothing and specific, you know, all of these specific steps to go through. And so I guess I kind of, it sort of made me resent the key of Solomon. Like I was, I was like, I'm I'm going over to you know Desecretus because this is like, you know, poor people magic. This is working man's right. magic. Key of Solomon person. is very much magic for people who have servants. Yeah, and you know who have apartments that they can dedicate just to the doing of magic where they can keep their spiffy magic books and lock up all of their specially consecrated magical gear mm-hmm. and nobody's mm-hmm. got to mess with it. And they can also afford to have a whole bathtub of holy water. Right. Like you have to have a priest friend for that. Right. You yeah. know, it's, you know, my, my pal, father Joey, who comes over and, you know, says a novena for me <laughs> and that uh, blesses your bathtub. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um yeah, so I guess uh I guess I was sort of thinking about that like the that idea of ritual purity is is pretty old and you see it in earlier grimoires even going back as far as the PGM, you know, the there there's stuff in there where uh sometimes the rules aren't as strict. Like it might not be like stay pure for 7 days, but it might be like this spirit hates the smell of fish, so don't eat fish for seven days, or make sure you right. don't have garlic on your breath, or uh, don't do this ritual if you're gassy. You know, like so it'll still have the physical element involved, but it's never as it's really rare, I think, that you see it as intricate and laid out in so in such specific steps as the Key of Solomon. It, it's it's more rules of etiquette. Yeah, yeah, it is kind of huh. It's sort of like you have don't- to. Don't summon this spirit with your stanky fish breath. <laughs> yeah, but also I love how, uh, you know, in, in book two, of the Key of Solomon, there's like instructions for companions. You know, it's sort of saying you're going to bring your you're going to bring your companions along and you have to bring either three, five or seven, but none of the other numbers. And if you don't have any companions, then you should bring a dog. And when you're doing this, you have to still do the whole thing. You have to be like, you have to strip your companions naked and bathe them. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's it, like it's uh, chapter three of book two, and it talks about your disciples, or if you don't have disciples, a child. If you don't have a child, a dog. Right. Just going, <laughs> really, this is, this is how you're okay. And, sure. But- and I like how part of the instructions for the child is uh, you have to clip the child's fingernails. Right. Like you personally, the magician has to get in there and clip those nails. <laughs> but again, it, it again coming back to that idea that this is all really rooted in the body, which is not I think how a lot of people would think of uh this kind of ritual magic. Right. Yeah, um I guess, uh, do you, where do you think that comes from? Do you, I guess for me, it sort of feels like something that came out of chaos magic or even like sort of like the new thought stuff where it's like intent is everything or everything is in the mind. Yeah, I think a lot of it is coming out of the sort of new thought 
the new age world. Mm-hmm. Um, Chaos Magic, uh, I know, does a lot of that magic being essentially a thing that's all in your head. But I've also seen a lot of Chaos Magicians uh, do really body-centered physical magic. Sure. So, yeah, I I, I wonder if a lot of it isn't coming from, well, a combination of the, the sort of New Age crystals and light and we're going to all vibrate on a higher plane and transcend the gross physical body stuff which is i i always think of as being kind of the um the entry level idea of what gnosticism is oh like baby gnosticism yeah it's like oh the body's gross just be all about spirit because the body is ew but i also wonder if some amount of it isn't uh if some amount of the focus on the brain instead of the like doing things in the physical world isn't coming from a place of on some level not really believing that what you're doing is efficacious it's kind of almost uh, almost kind of like a lack of fully committing to the ritual. Right, right. I think that there are a lot of people who feel that, well, if I have my intent, I can just mentally will this thing to happen and, you know, sort of put good vibes out into the universe. And that's every bit as good as saying this silly string of barbarous names and waving a painted stick around and, you know, poking in the air with a knife or whatever you're doing. And I'm like, but is it though? Is it? Um, because I mean, on a purely mental level, our brains understand the physical doing of a thing as being an experience, a thing that happens and not mm-hmm. just a thing that happens, but a thing that we are doing and making happen. You know, when I reach out and I pick up a wand and I make a gesture with it, that is a thing that I have caused to happen. So, you know, it like as much as this sounds like a tautology, that's a thing I did that I caused to occur in the universe. And if I have imbued that action with intent, with will, with power, then that power is also being expressed in the doing of the thing in the action. Yeah. And I can't help but feel that's got a little more to it than simply sitting here and saying, I will it to be so. Yeah, I can see that. I guess, uh, you know, I love the trappings. I don't always enjoy following the rules of the trappings, right? So like, I don't necessarily have the specific kind of wand with you know the specific characters painted on it and all that kind of stuff but i will have one that is like really special to me that has associations that that make sense or something of that nature um but also you know i mean i feel you know uh i made my own magical robe and it was a big grueling ordeal and i've done you know i've done a lot of the stuff that you know i i 
it, it's hard for me to imagine uh, that there are a lot of practitioners out there who don't understand the importance of the physical part of the ritual, including the preparation of the body. You know, I mean, we meditate before rituals. Why don't we also, you know, wash ourselves a little bit? That would be lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was that was my uh, my, my snark slipping. <sighs> it's okay. I introduced you as having a slightly odd sense of humor. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, and it's an entirely true accusation. Yeah. So then, um, when you started looking at the stuff in the Key of Solomon, um, how far did you start uh, integrating that? incredible level of detail for preparation into your own work like do you basically take seven days to do the simplest operation oh no no (laughs) i um i i have a profound level of respect and love for the grimoire tradition but i also have an entire rest of my life in 2021 and um you know a wife and cats and um and a prof- a, a shocking lack of servants and disciples in my life um <laughs> you know no lion skin that i can make a lion skin belt from um i used to have a lion skin but or not a lion but mountain lion um but reading over those chapters in the key of Solomon and looking at the extent to which they really were stressing the purity of the bodies in the space, the purity of the space and of the tools and, you know, the incense and suffumigations and the water and all of this stuff. For me, it really pointed at the interconnection between the body and the things invisible to see, the the world of spirit. And it suggested to me in my own practice that while I'm not going to often have seven days to devote to um, this kind of preparation before I start uh, making these incredibly long invocations, I can look at what is the point of doing these things in this way? What is it that the the magician is trying to accomplish? Mm -hmm. Bringing that attention to the purity of the body. And by purity here, you know, the book means clearly, like literally physically washing yourself, being clean, but also there are specific invocations and names that you are expected to say, you know, these prayers. So it's a purity of mind, of thought, of will and purpose that you're also bringing to the work. And, and, they're, and they're almost done. They're kind of done side by side, right? So you, yeah. you're, you're, you, it, it's not, um, there's no real cutoff. It's a, it's a continuity. Yes. When you start doing this work, you are in a constant state of, I'm going to say these names. I am going to pray this prayer. I will enter this water and wash myself. And then I'll get out and I'll say this thing. And then I'll put on this robe. And then I will say this thing and put on these shoes. And the preparation itself becomes a part of the ritual. 
and the, yeah, and the body becomes a part of the magical material that is being worked on. We we talked a little bit, or this is reminding me about something else in our previous conversation when we were leading up to the episode. Yeah, because we talked a little bit about um, sort of like the appearance of the Vitruvian Man, or that. Um, that concept of the body as a symbol for creation, right? Like, yes. uh, this is something that I'm not, I mean, you see it in the Corpus Hermeticum. In the Corpus Hermeticum, you have this reflection between like the body and creation or the, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the physical self being a uh, mirror of like the global cosmic human god. Yeah, the, the, the body as a microcosm of all of creation. Right. And then you see it again later on, you know, like the idea of Adam Cadman in Kabbalah, where the symbol of Adam Cadman is sort of used as a map for how creation happens and is sort of seen as like, um, I don't think, I don't think it's really fair to call it like a platonic idea, but it's definitely like the spiritual precursor of, you know, the individual fleshy meat suit running down here in, in, you know, the material world. Um, And then, you know, like the Vitruvian man, like I mentioned before, you have this thing that sort of integrates the, the elements and the spirit all into like one symbol where it's showing you that like, yes, the body is made of like the physical elements, but it, it, it's nothing without the inclusion of spirit. Like you don't get the pentagram without that. Instead, you've just got a friggin' box and who the hell wants a box? (laughs) <laughs> this is just a bunch of dirt. <laughs> this is mud. Yeah. You brought me mud. Yeah, without the breath to animate it, it's just it's warm mud. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Um but so uh so that 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 preparation thing that you're talking about like where you say like a prayer before you put on your shoes and a prayer before you do everything and like you have the you know the the sacred name sort of like rolling through your consciousness the entire way through your preparation it also adds like a a really high level of mindfulness like you have to be really aware of each step and and what the ritual parts are for that preparation absolutely it focuses your mind fully on the operation being done and i don't want to say it takes you out of your own body because i I really don't think that was the point. I don't think it's about getting you out of your body and, you know, into this airy realm of spirit. It's about elevating your body itself, or maybe elevating is even the wrong term. It Valorizing, sacralizing the body, mm-hmm. you know, purifying the body and making the body a vessel for the sacred quality of the work that you're doing. Yeah, it could maybe it could also be looked at as um, uh, acknowledging the sacredness of the body, you know, yes. sort of being like this is sort of like the idea of uh, you know acknowledging the sacredness of the body as part of that continuum from body to to soul, right? So yeah, so it's absolutely yeah. Well, and knocking around in the profane world, we have all the cares of the day you know, stuck in our minds and stuck to our bodies. Uh, You know, you think about that 
jerk who cut you off in traffic and the annoying thing at work with the TPS reports and you know, the thing you heard on the news and, oh my gosh, the world is in a state, what are you going to do? And then to focus your attention and your will on this thing and remind yourself, oh wait, my body has been rolling around in the profane world, but my body is still a sacred thing. Mm -hmm. I am still a sacred being, you know, to use this language in here, you know, I am a creature of God. Right. And if I consciously remind myself of this, if I exercise this water and say these prayers and bathe and wash away all of the stuff of the outside world, you know, wash away the TPS reports and the traffic, I am reclaiming my own body and refocusing my body and my mind on the purpose at hand. So um, when you uh, were initiated into um, your various streams of Wicca, did you go through physical initiations? Like, were you actually there in the temple going through, you know? They were all actual physical initiatory rituals. Yep. Um, and I've, and so those are those, those sorts of things. Like, you don't necessarily, I mean, I don't know how Wicca is, but in Freemasonry, you spend not a whole lot of time doing the physical preparation. You know, sometimes there will be something like a chamber of reflection where you sit in solitude for like half an hour and, right. you know, write out your will and testament or something. But, um, nice. <laughs> but yeah, but that experience is, um, or the, the physical experience of the initiation is something that can like really shock you into your body or sort of like bring you present uh, even while sort of like the spiritual part of the ritual is being performed you still have like that physical presence but there's never I, I, and I'm sure that there are different styles of initiation that sort of emphasize this but it, I'm just wondering like do you feel like your initiatory path sort of prepared you for this sort of idea of the of the physical body being such an important sacred element of the ritual. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I think the modern neo-pagan movement can do really well when it's on its game is embracing the physical as a venue for spiritual activity of you know a venue for spirituality um that's not to say that modern paganism does that terribly well all the time but the idea that the body is sacred the idea that the body is as valid a venue for magical work for spiritual gnosis as the mind is something that I encountered, uh, you know, quite regularly as an initiate of these paths of traditional witchcraft. Mm -hmm. uh, it is very much something that's a part of traditional Wicca, and it's very much something that's a part of Anderson Fairy. And yeah, in very different ways, mind you, because they are very different paths, but both of them do provide opportunities for an initiate to really engage with the body and with the magic of the body. Okay. 
that's that's uh that's good to hear i think you know um but it's also making me think of something else like the idea of ritual purity and how uh kind of like um it's not going to be the same from culture to culture or path to path like how do you no. know how do you know what ritual purity actually is you know if you're looking at christian ritual like the key of solomon uh, a christian's idea of purity is going to be far different than you know a pagan idea of of purity right, right. well at the end of the day purity means essentially you have only the things that you want and none of the things you don't want oh i like so that pure water for instance you know we think about you know like there are water filters labeled pure um like that's the brand name and the idea with pure water is you're taking out anything that's toxic or gross you know you don't want to just drink stream water um especially not where i live sadly <laughs> but also you don't want to drink distilled water because distilled water is lacking a lot of the things that helps your body like take, right. make use of the water so right. pure it's water neutral yeah so, so if, if yeah so if what you're wanting is drinking water you want water that has some quote unquote impurities but for your purposes it's like oh this is you know water that's good and healthy to drink it's got you know minerals and stuff if what you're wanting is water that's useful for cleaning surgical instruments you want distilled water you want water that is absolutely zeroed out mm -hmm. right you know water that is nothing but two parts hydrogen to one part oxygen and yeah i think it's a lot more useful to think of ritual purity from a framework of this has only the stuff that I want and doesn't have any of the stuff I don't want. Whether you're talking about purifying a space to do ritual in or purifying the body and the mind to enter into that space. All right. I think that's really good advice. I think that's a good way of looking at it. I, I um, It reminds me of something that actually I've done in some of my practice where I've had... Uh, you know, I do a lot of astrological magic and with astrological magic, you're always trying to like work on these correspondences for whichever planet or sign or whatever that you're working with. Um, right. And one of the ways that I've handled like fasting, for instance, is I have been like, okay, well, I don't really want to fast for seven days, but how about if I only eat, um, you know, Martian food or food that would be made out of things associated with Mars. So I'd like look it up right. and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to eat red things and I'm going to eat lots of iron <laughs> or yeah, whatever. You know, red meat and spicy and yeah. fiery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you kind of, um, there's still sort of this element of uh, mindfulness to what's going on. You know, like I'm very aware of what I'm eating and why, right. but um, it's hard to know, I guess. It's hard to know if that is still kind of a level of ritual purity that is uh, going to be effective and and if so like what is the connection like what makes that type of purity better than another type or more apt than another type and I guess that's that's probably a question for the metaphysicists <laughs> well I suppose you know the chaos magician in me would want to say does it work does it get you there? Do you get the results you're going after? Yeah, I guess so. And I guess and if, if that's the case. 
Yeah. And if, you know, if you're doing a Martian operation and for your uh, fasting or, you know, think of it as a ritual diet, you are devoting yourself to only consuming foods and drinks that have that Martian correspondence. If you do all of that and the operation is successful, then it, the proof is pudding. Okay, that's a good point. Um, yeah, and I guess it sort of does also. I guess it's just, it does sort of mean that like maybe the idea of purity uh, of the body is um, is a little malleable. I think so. I think so. I mean, I still want people to take baths. Don't get me wrong. I please shower. You know, use soap, <laughs> all that kind of thing. But um, one of the things that I am really fascinated about uh, with magic is the underlying tech of all the things that we do, uh, by which I mean looking at things like the ritual work in the key of Solomon, everything from, you know, purifying the body and the tools and the space to, you know, how do you actually summon spirits or, uh, you know, cast a spell to find a thing you lost, which, you know, chapter nine, apparently of book one, (laughs) I literally just flipped to that. I was like, Oh, Hey, yeah, it's chapter nine. Nice. Um, I get sidetracked so easily. Um, <laughs> hey, we've stayed on topic for a really long time. I'm yeah. It, I think that uh, I would have to rank you uh, pretty low in the num- in in easy sidetracking. Like you've you've done a good job staying on topic. Thank you. So Thank you, you should so you should hold on to that. I will. I, I will clutch that to my heart like a spelling bee trophy. <laughs> but I'm really interested in looking at the structure of ritual work and kind of taking it apart and going, okay, what is this ritual for? And the individual pieces in the ritual, what are they there to do? Why do we say this thing? Why do we wave this tool and not that tool? Why do we wave it in this particular way? Why are we saying these words and not those words or any words at all? Um, Not because I want to be that annoying, well, why do we do it that way person or the, I think we can do it a better way person. Um, Though those are both valid questions and positions to take at times. Uh, Mostly I'm interested in looking at these things and going, what do the things that we do in rituals say about our assumptions about the nature of magical reality and if what we're trying to do is get from point a to point b is this ritual like the you know like going back to your martian operation where you're you know fasting on spicy food um you know if i'm doing this martian operation do i need to do it in precisely this prescribed fashion or can I tinker with it? Can I find ways of accomplishing the same ends using methods that are more tailored to the ways that I interact with these ideas, with these concepts, with these spirits, with these beings that I'm reaching out to and saying, hey, give me a hand. 
And do you think that you have come across any um, answers that would surprise people in your observation of this stuff? Um, results are still preliminary at this point. Um, what I found is that things that I feel work for me aren't necessarily going to work for someone else and things that have worked for other people I have tried and gone yeah no no that doesn't work for me and part of that is uh, I would attribute to a simple failure of correspondence hmm. you know there are things that are going to mean Mars to someone that I'm like, that doesn't feel particularly Martian to me. I mean, there are some things where, you know, we all share a common vocabulary. You know, the color red is very Martian. Iron is very Martian, especially like, you know, an iron knife with a red hilt. And it's got, you know, the Mars symbol carved into it. It's like, okay, I, yeah, I get that. That's very Mars. Yeah. But, you know, there are going to be people for whom the things that put them in that headspace aren't going to work for me because we're different people. Mm -hmm. So their notion of ritual purity will be different to mine. That's, I like that. I mean, I, I think that that's true. I think that I've observed the same thing, you know, um, especially, and I've, I've heard other uh, practitioners talking about it too, about how like sometimes you just need to build your own correspondences and track your own correspondences. Um, and that makes sense because, uh, you know, we all also live in different places and get exposed to different foods and different smells and different things are associated with different whatevers. But I guess I'm kind of wondering, like, how does that then reflect back on this idea that, like, the body is an important ritual element? Like, if if that part of the physical aspect of ritual can can be changed while still producing uh, results, like, what uh, what reflection does that have on the body's role in in you know a magical operation? Well, whatever else you or I or anyone listening to this, uh, whatever else we may have out of common, whatever differences we may all have, we do all have bodies. We all share that in common. They are not exactly the same kinds of bodies. They don't necessarily have the same capabilities, uh, but we all exist in incarnate forms. You know, we're, we're all literally, you know, these bags of meat. Mm -hmm. So to come back to, to, to draw the analogy, come back to the, the Martian working, um, your Martian correspondences won't be my Martian correspondences and mine won't be the hypothetical listeners Martian correspondences, but we are all relating to the spirit and the concepts associated with the spirit of Mars. So similarly, how your body and my body and some third person's body all work in ritual space won't necessarily be the same, mm -hmm. but we are all bodies in space. Okay. And there are certain, I would say, uh, universal ground rules that all apply. We all need to take showers or baths and wash. You know, we all need to feed ourselves, but, you know, say you might be lactose intolerant. I am diabetic. 
um, you know, we might not necessarily eat the same things. That's I, a I'm good point. Kind of belaboring this metaphor here, but I, 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 I think I got there. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I see that. I think that that makes a lot of sense. I guess, um, you know, just as we each have a very individual uh, and sometimes incomprehensible to others experiences in the world, you know, we can't necessarily all expect every ritual to work the same way or every preparation for ritual to do the same thing. And particularly with magic, where the rituals are so often private. Right. One of the things that I've always found really puzzling is the people who insist that this ritual from this book must be done in exactly and precisely this way for every single person who is doing it. And if you didn't do it exactly by these rules, you've done it wrong and it won't work. If that's the case, then why did it only end up in one book? Right. I, you know, I'm just part of the problem that I have with that is that it's just factually untrue. Yeah. You know, people change things, people adapt things. I mean, you look at the key of Solomon and then you look at uh, De Secretis or you look at the Grimorium Verum or any of these other books that are all sort of kind of in the same genre of Grimoric magic. And there's bits of text that you're like, oh, this is the same preparation of the pen that you find over here. This is the same thing you say over the incense with, you know, a couple of the words switched. You know, people were changing things and swapping things around and adapting them and uh, simplifying and shortening them. Good grief. Uh, you know, because who's got that many hours in the day or that many servants? Mm-hmm. Uh, or that many dogs? Or that many dogs, you know? And, it, you know, especially now, like people are like, you know, oh, take the child to do your prophesying. And I'm like, uh, CPS would like a word with you. <laughs> Yeah, we don't really get to do that anymore. Yeah, no, no. And and thank goodness, because yeah. yikes. Um, but th- these rituals have been changed and adapted to meet the spiritual and magical and temporal needs of the magicians doing the work. And we still do them because they still work, even though you're not making a six hour long invocation with a bunch of barbarous names that you're probably not pronouncing right anyway, because who knows how they're pronounced. I feel like if we really knew how they were pronounced, if you go back, you know, I mean, you look at the PGM and you can see that there are similarities between barbarous names in a lot of places, but they're never 100% the same, you know, it's, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess for, for those who are listening, who are looking to, um, adopt some some of these new practices or who are looking to uh you know re-emphasize the sacredness of their body in their magical rituals god that was a really uncomfortable thing to say out loud <laughs> um great where well done. thanks thanks <laughs> where should they start where would you suggest that they start wow um i mean aside so, from the obvious take a take a damn shower <laughs> yeah, yeah take a bath please um at the risk of sounding like I am self-promoting here, uh, I wrote a book. 
just over a year ago it came out from Llewellyn called Outside the Charmed Circle. And there is a chapter in that book specifically devoted to embodiment. And even more specifically, there is a ritual of my own design in the book intended to help the practitioner reclaim their own body. Because, you know, I was alluding earlier to being stuck at work dealing with TPS reports and being cut off in traffic and all of these other things that we do in our lives that lay claim to us as people. And it is my contention that we carry a lot of that in our bodies. And so this chapter and specifically this right in the chapter is intended to be a way of washing all of that away from ourselves and saying, no, this body, this space I occupy, this is mine. This belongs to me to do with as I will. It doesn't belong to my parents or my spouse or my children or my boss or my friends or the church or anyone or anything else. This belongs solely and only to me. And then from that place, I can move forward and dedicate it to whatever purposes I choose. I can give my body to God or the gods, or I can you know, give my body to the service of this cause. Or just but you have to give it to some vultures. I mean, you, you know, sooner or later, we are all worm food or, you know, dust on the mantle. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, I think that's a really good first approach. I guess I would also suggest that um, practitioners who are working with specific grimoires should look at those grimoires and see what the body preparations are and maybe have another pass at them. Like, pay attention. Um, and look critically. Mm-hmm. I, I, and by critically, I don't mean, you know, well, this is stupid. No, I mean, look at them and look at the body preparations in those grimoires and ask yourself, okay, let's say I'm a magician doing this work in, you know, 1471 or, you know, oh, Inquisition banned this in 1559. So let's say it's 1558 and I'm a well-to-do magician with a house full of servants. And I'm reading over these instructions on bathing and preparing the body for all of this what am I trying to do in that context? What is this work intended to accomplish? And now, okay, I'm actually a magician in 2021 in an Anglophone country, the United States, Canada, the UK, wherever you are. Um, What is the best translation of that? Because I don't think that the point of doing magic is to cosplay being a Renaissance magician. I think the point is to look at the work that's being done in these books and find the best way of doing that work today. Yeah, well put. I think that's very well put. Thank you. Which is why sometimes it's okay to use LED candles. (laughs) You know, there's still fire in those candles. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're tiny crystals that glow when you shoot electricity through them. It's kind of magic. It is. Yeah. It absolutely is. Um, I will freely confess that early on, I saw LED candles at a public ritual in a hotel 
space and was just like, well, this is, seems a bit tatty, isn't it? But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, no, there's still light and heat there. It's a tiny little fire inside a tiny little crystal created by artifice and magic. That's mm-hmm. kind of cool. It is. Yeah, I, I, I had that same kind of experience. Well, I mean, I guess I was the one who brought the LED candles and the people around me are like, what? What? I'm like, we're doing a ritual outside. You want to try to keep candles lit? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Doing ritual in a hotel room. We're going to set off the smoke alarm if we light a candle. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> not really working. Well, Misha, this has been a really interesting talk. It really took me from, uh, you know, we went into it and I was kind of like, what are we going to talk about? And then I was sort of like, hold on, we have to like rewind and play this out for for beginners and for intermediates and for people who are um, as distinguished as we are. But can you uh, can you tell the listeners where to find you online? The listeners may find me online at mishamagdalene.com. That's M-I-S-H-A Magdalene. Dot com. Uh, I'm on the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Instagrams and just all over the place. I will make sure that all of those amazing links are in the show notes, uh, along with a link to your book, because uh, it is really worth reading. And I'm sure, and, and and it's full of cool practices. So it's not just that one. You've got like things to do in every chapter. I I tried to make it, you know, songs to learn and sing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And, yeah, people seem to be uh, playing around with those tools, and that is just that—that that is a delight and a joy for me. I'm really glad to hear that. I'm super glad to hear that. Well, hey, you know we're heading into um, a really tumultuous week here in the United States of America, so I hope that you manage, you and your loved ones manage to stay safe. Thank you so and much. You. Thanks, uh, and thanks for for being back on the podcast. It's always a delight to talk with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, you are welcome. Thank you for listening to the Arnamancy podcast. You can find me online at arnamancy.com where you can schedule a tarot reading or peruse the Arnamancy blog. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. If you like this podcast, support it for just $1 a month through Patreon at patreon.com slash artemancy.